I'm Tracy Sable. Tonight on EWTN News Nightly, focus on Russia. The world reacts after the death of an opposition leader put in prison by the Kremlin. Sounding the alarm. Hong Kong considers a national security measure that could further limit religious freedom. We have analysis from Gordon Chang. Start spreading the news. Learn more about a unique three-day event that's drawing thousands of the faithful to New York City. And a gift for baskets. A graduate of Catholic schools in Iowa sets a new record in women's college basketball. These stories and more tonight. From EWTN, the Global Catholic Network, this is EWTN News Nightly. Thank you for being with us on the Feast of St. Onesimus. Our top story tonight, President Joe Biden reacts to the news that has stunned the world, the death of Alexei Navalny. He was Russian President Vladimir Putin's fiercest foe. President Biden said today, make no mistake, Putin is responsible for Navalny's death. He also said, God bless Alexei Navalny. White House correspondent Owen Jensen reports. Owen. Tracy, the opposition leader was behind bars in Arctic prison. Navalny reportedly did not feel well after going for a walk. He lost consciousness and could not be revived. Now, keep in mind, this is a man who was once poisoned by a nerve agent, and he blamed the Kremlin. Today, President Biden calling Navalny brave, principled, and dedicated to building a Russia where the rule of law existed. I'm literally both not surprised and outraged by the news. In the Roosevelt Room, President Joe Biden responds to the death of Russia's top opposition leader, Alexei Navalny. Putin had him poisoned. He had him arrested. He had him prosecuted for fabricated crimes. He sentenced him to prison. He was held in isolation. Even all that didn't stop him from calling out Putin's lies. Across the globe, an outpouring of sympathy for Navalny's family and outrage at the Kremlin. The 47-year-old who crusaded against official corruption and staged massive anti-Kremlin protests had been serving time on charges he rejected as a politically motivated effort to keep him imprisoned for life. Attending the Munich Security Conference, Vice President Kamala Harris calls Navalny's death terrible news and a further sign of Putin's brutality. Whatever story they tell, let us be clear, Russia is responsible. In this interview in 2020, Navalny had harsh words for Putin. I don't want Putin to uh, be ruling of Russia. I don't want him being president. I don't want him being czar of Russia because, well, he's killing people. He's the uh, reason why our, the whole country is degradating. Just hours after his death was reported, Navalny's wife took the stage at the security conference in Germany. If it is the truth, I would like Putin and all his staff, everybody around him, his government, his friends, I want them to know that they will be punished for what they have done with our country, with my family and with my husband. They will be brought to justice, and this day will come soon. And Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky, visiting Germany for the security conference, said Putin doesn't care who dies, while German Chancellor Olaf Scholz praised Navalny's bravery and said the Kremlin critic paid for that courage with his life. After his remarks about Navalny in the Roosevelt Room here at the White House, President Biden then traveled to East Palestine, Ohio, his visit coming over a year after a Norfolk Southern train derailed and leaked toxic chemicals. White House says Biden waited for the right moment to make today's visit.
At the White House, Owen Jensen, EWTN News Nightly. All right, let's turn back to the death of Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny and bring in Professor Michael Kimmage, Department Chair of History at the Catholic University of America. Michael, good to be with you today. Talk to us more about Alexei Navalny, what his death signals, and why it's so consequential. Well, it's not as if he uh, was the head of an active op opposition movement in Russia. That was crushed uh, long ago. Uh, but he represents uh, in Russia and clearly to the world uh, a voice of conscience, a voice of independence, and somebody who clearly had the courage uh, to openly criticize Vladimir Putin, not just for his conduct of the war, but for personal corruption uh, and the corruption of the Putin uh, regime. So in the end, I think uh, uh, the person killed uh, yesterday or today uh, was less a politician than a symbol, uh, a symbol of an alternative uh, Russia. Uh, and that, that, I think, is what has elicited so much emotion. Yeah, in his final statement in his appeal against his imprisonment back in two, uh, 2021, that is, Navalny surprised people by quoting the Bible and saying, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. He then went on to say, while I am certainly not really enjoying the place where I am, I have no regrets about coming back or about what I am doing. It's fine because I did the right thing. Uh, your thoughts on that? Well, precisely, your biblical quote really frames... Uh, the largest significance that Navalny has and will continue to have uh, after uh, after his life and that he is a martyr. Uh, and he has martyred himself for the cause of opposition, of criticism, freedom of conscience, uh, of freedom to speak the truth. Uh, and that's uh, really where the power uh, of this person resides. He kind of knew that this was going to happen. He suggested it a few times. He willingly met his fate uh, and did so, I think, really for purposes of martyrdom. And we have seen pictures of people, you know, laying flowers and monuments dedicated to victims of political repression after his death was announced. Um, how do you think this is resonating with people in Russia and around the world? And what do you think will come from his death? I don't see any real political change coming in Russia because of this. There may be scattered protests, but I think the the government will put them down. Uh, but, uh, you know, Navalny will now represent something very important uh, in Russian life, and he will continue to do so. And I think for the outside world, it's not a great surprise that this happened, unfortunately, uh, but it is confirmation of the trend of the last four or five, ten years in Russia, where Russia has become uh, a dictatorship unwilling to tolerate any kind of opposition. So if you were in doubt about that 24 hours ago, you shouldn't be today. Well, Professor Kimmich, thank you so much for coming on and for your insights. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Well, nearly four dozen members of Congress are accompanying the vice president and others to Munich. Foreign leaders will be turning their attention to those lawmakers seeking to have the U.S. pass more funding for the war in Ukraine. Capitol Hill correspondent Eric Rosales joins us now with more. Eric. Good evening. Senator Tom Tillis, chair of the Senate NATO Observer Group, says his main goal in Munich is to reaffirm to world leaders that Congress is behind NATO, but also behind Ukraine despite the current foreign aid bill being stuck in the U.S. House, where Republicans there say it's a non-starter. The Republican-led House will not be jammed or forced into passing a foreign aid bill that was opposed by most Republican senators and does nothing to secure our own border. And other conservative hawks agree. Trash it. I, I don't, we, we've given Ukraine enough. I mean, they are, they're making out like bandits. 
And it's Europe's war. Europe needs to step up. Germany and the rest of them need to step up. I mean, I hope we'll do do our, our job on the spending bills coming up. We'll see. But we're all you know we're all working together, and, and people should unite behind the speaker in opposition to the uh, the bad Ukraine bill that came out of the Senate. Democratic leadership sounded off. What is he afraid of? To put national security first, to help our country, uh, to push back and and push back against Putin, um, and to make sure that our country is protected. What is what is his concern? Meanwhile, 10 House members have drafted a new compromise, Ukraine, Taiwan, Israel, and border security bill. The proposal calls for nearly $48 billion in new aid for Ukraine, $10.4 billion for Israel, $5.4 billion for the Indo-Pacific area and Taiwan, $2.4 billion to support U.S. operations in the Middle East, especially against the Houthis. Overall, it's $66 billion in defense-only support for U.S. allies. On border security, the Homeland Security Secretary would be allowed to suspend the entry for inadmissible aliens to help gain operational control of the border. Asylum standards would be tightened, and the Remain in Mexico policy would be implemented for one year. The new proposal is designed to be an alternative to the $95 billion current foreign aid bill, which passed the Senate earlier this week. However, progressive Democrats may be against it because it has no humanitarian effort for Palestinians in Gaza. I'll stay on top of the issue. At the Capitol, Eric Rosales, EWTN, News Nightly. West story helped to spark what is now a House impeachment inquiry now that former FBI informant is charged with lying about the Biden's ties to a Ukrainian energy company. The special counsel charged with investigating Hunter Biden wrote that Alexander Smirnov's motivation for lying was political. Smirnov said that Hunter Biden, at the time a paid board member of Burisma, demanded money to protect the company from an investigation by the U.S. government. Following the news, President Biden called for an end to the impeachment inquiry. I'll turn it now to former President Donald Trump, who this afternoon was hit with a $364 million penalty. A New York judge made the ruling in the civil case, citing what he said was a years-long scheme to do banks and others with inflated financial statements. Trump is also barred from serving as an officer or director of any New York corporation for three years. His lawyer called the verdict, quote, manifest injustice. Trump's lawyer said that they would appeal the verdict before it was even released. The judge did back away from an earlier ruling that would have dissolved the former president's companies. Meantime, the district attorney of Fulton County, Georgia, is facing the prospect of being removed from the state's election interference trial against the former president. Today, Fannie Willis's own father took the witness stand, saying that he did not know until recently about a romantic relationship with a prosecutor charged to lead the case. A police in Kansas City say two juveniles are now facing charges in connection to the mass shooting earlier this week at the Super Bowl parade. The suspects are being detained in a juvenile detention center on gun-related charges and resisting arrest. A Catholic mother of two was killed in that shooting. 22 others were injured when gunfire erupted Wednesday afternoon during a parade to honor the Super Bowl champions, the Kansas City Chiefs. Four Catholic bishops in Mexico have met with drug cartel bosses to try and negotiate a peace agreement. The Mexican president says that he is in favor of the discussions. Previous talks between church leaders and drug lords to end the violence had fallen short. One bishop told EWTN Noticias that he hopes this time a deal can be reached. The drug dealers have won the battle. 
precisely because of the attitudes of the government. There is a power vacuum, a social vacuum, a moral vacuum in the communities. So what happens in many parts of Mexico is that drug dealers have a greater presence in the town. They have greater acceptance and even affection towards people, something that the government does not have. The previous PRI government here in Guerrero told me that they could not make agreements with drug traffickers. But it is not an agreement. It is simply talking, dialoguing. So in a place where the government has left the institutions, drug dealers have already taken them over. I'll turn it now to Greece, where lawmakers have approved a measure to legalize same-sex marriage. The provision also allows same-sex couples to adopt children and to receive full parental recognition. Leaders in the Greek Orthodox Church voice their opposition. They say the new legislation poses a threat to traditional family values. The faithful in Greece gathered outside of parliament in peaceful protests, reflecting the church's criticism. Many prayed aloud while others held up icons. Greece is the first majority Orthodox nation to legalize same-sex marriage. And we have a lot more still to come here on EWTN News Nightly, including the faithful in Hong Kong. Why a proposal in the former British territory is causing concern among religious freedom advocates. We have analysis from Gordon Chang. And a Catholic school graduate shoots for the stars. says thousands of luxury cars, including Porsches and Bentleys, have been impounded in U.S. ports. According to the Financial Times, the vehicles were held back after a subcomponent in them was believed to have been built in China in violation of forced labor laws. The parts may have been produced in the part of the communist country where weaker minorities are forced into work. Well, as we reported earlier this week, there are new concerns regarding religious freedom in Hong Kong. Reports say the former British territory may expand the Beijing-backed national security law passed in 2020. Article 23 would strengthen the government's crackdown on political dissidents. One expert says the measure could be used against Christian missionaries and even Hong Kong church officials attempting to talk to the Vatican. And for analysis, we turn now to Gordon Chang, author of The Coming Collapse of China and the just-released China is Going to War. Gordon, great to have you back on. Um, first, tell us more about Article 23 and why is it being considered when the current national security law is already resulting in numerous arrests and even convictions? That's a great question, Tracy. Um, the national security law of 2020 was called the end of law in Hong Kong. So one can argue that Article 23 legislation, which is now being considered, would really just be superfluous. But what it really does is it does send a message, and it is one more nail in the coffin. And yes, the Catholic Church and all religion in Hong Kong are at risk because Beijing has made it very clear in the mainland itself that they will brook no religious faith. And they're going to do the same thing in Hong Kong as well. So really, the Catholic Church has to fight this because its days in, in Hong Kong are numbered if it doesn't. Yeah, and this Article 23 is really causing uh, concern among religious freedom advocates. Uh, I understand the proposal also is really worrying foreign businesses with headquarters in Hong Kong. What can you tell us about that, Gordon? Yes, what we're seeing is foreign business leave Hong Kong. And this has been a trend now for a couple of years. 
And part of it is because of the national security implications that Beijing believes that any sort of comment on China's economy, which is failing, is a national security crime. And we're going to see the same thing in Hong Kong as well, because Beijing officials now control the Hong Kong government, which really is just sort of a facing uh, a front organization for the rest of the world. The, the problem is that Beijing is absolutely determined to make Hong Kong exactly like the rest of the mainland. And, and some people say it's actually more dangerous to live in Hong Kong than in the mainland, because in Hong Kong, you have a sense of you got more latitude to do what you want where you really don't. And the lines are changing so fast that really it is a danger for people to be in Hong Kong. Mm. Gordon, I want to talk about the church a little bit more. How is this going to impact local church leaders and them being able to communicate with the Vatican? Well, the Vatican will be seen as an outside organization in foreign interference in Hong Kong affairs, which would be a crime under Article 23 and already is a crime under the 2020 legislation. Um, and they're going to use that any way they can. You know, we had Cardinal Zen was convicted. He's appealing his conviction. He was, of course, innocent of any crime as we would think of that. And then, of course, Jimmy Lai, a convert to Catholicism, is now on trial. Uh, and, uh, you know, Beijing has made it very clear that he's going to spend the rest of his life in a Hong Kong prison. So they are going after faith. It's not just politics because faith is more dangerous to the regime than politics. And we have seen this in the way they have treated not only Uyghurs, um, but Protestants, Catholics, even Buddhists, because Buddhism was once thought to be a homegrown religion, not foreign. Well, the Buddhists themselves are under persecution as well. Yeah, this is also very concerning. Gordon, we're, we have about a minute or so left, but I want to touch on this. Uh, we mentioned that story earlier about the reports about luxury cars being detained in U.S. ports uh, amid fears that they contain a part that may have been produced by forced labor in China. What more do you know about this? Well, Volkswagen uh, and others, they, they notified U.S. Customs about this part, which was good for them. Um, the problem here is that the Biden administration um, has not really enforced the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act or the Tariff Act of 1930, the forced labor provisions, to the extent that they should, because many products in China, not just the ones that people talk about, have actually been produced with forced or slave labor. And this affects the supply chains of multinational companies as well as Chinese companies. And really quickly, what else are you following? Well, right now, um, there is this concern about Taiwan. Um, two Chinese fishermen uh, were drowned on Wednesday. And we're going to see whether Beijing is serious about annexing Taiwan, because they now have in their own mind a justification to go to war. I don't think they will, but we're going to see a lot about how they really feel about Taiwan as we see them react to these two deaths. Oh, Gordon, always good to be with you. Thank you so much. We appreciate your time. Thank you, Tracy. Uh, the Basilica of the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception is once again dealing with an act of vandalism. A statue of the Blessed Virgin in an area known as Mary's Garden was struck repeatedly with a hammer. The vandal also appears to have shattered the surrounding light fixtures. A visitor to Mary's Garden noticed the vandalism and reported it. Up next on EWTN News Nightly, the heart of the city. Learn about a Catholic event drawing hundreds to New York. 
Plus, a graduate of Catholic schools in Iowa takes her best shot at history. A three-day event in New York City kicking off today is a Catholic initiative like no other. The New York Encounter features panel discussions, exhibitions, and artistic performances. Now in its 16th year, the free event attracts thousands of people from across the nation and around the world. The theme this year is Tearing Open the Sleeping Soul, with a subtitle, What is Happening? To our humanity. Here to tell us more about the event is Bishop Earl Fernandez of Columbus, Ohio. He is a featured speaker at this weekend's event. Your Excellency, thank you for joining us today. So tell us, what makes New York Encounter so unique in such a powerful event? Well, this is actually, actually will be my first time at the New York Encounter, but I've heard about it for years uh, as part of the movement Comunione Liberazione, Communion and Liberation. And so they always have their meeting for friendship in Rimini each summer, but then the New York encounter, uh, usually around President's Day weekend, and thousands, tens, uh, 10,000 people maybe will come uh, this year from uh, all parts of the country and all parts of the world uh, to gather for, not to, for a, a place to encounter other people in our humanity uh, to, from different cultures, different places. Uh, we'll hear different languages, and it, it's a mixture of things. Some will be uh, talks and lectures. Some will be panel discussions. There will be art exhibits uh, and uh, uh, photographic exhibits. There will be music. Uh, Monsignor Giussani, the founder of Communion Liberation, always insisted on, on music and art and beauty, all of which helps to shape and form our humanity. So I'm looking forward to it. I'll meet uh, friends from from India and from Myanmar and from it, many from Italy, but even lots of American college students uh, who met, uh, who encountered the movement. Uh, and we all, one way or the other, we all became fast friends. So uh, in a way, it's a gathering of young people and old people to talk about our humanity and to meet each other in our humanity and to renew friendships and, and strengthen the bonds of communion. Yeah, that is wonderful. And I know this year's theme, as we mentioned, is tearing open the sleeping soul, uh, an homage to St. Gregory the Great. Talk to us more about that, you know, the theme and why it was chosen. Well, I think it was chosen because I think we're losing a sense of who we are as a person, not just because of gender ideologies and things like that, but but actually, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be to encounter another person, to to be able to to look another person in the eye and have a regular conversation? Uh, many of our methods, for example, of education, are we educate for efficiency, and so things like art and beauty and creativity have little value. Uh, other times, we educate for efficiency, but not for religiosity. Even though every heart has a longing for truth and goodness and beauty. And so the, the New York Encounter is a chance to rediscover some of those things. What does music uh, attribute to my life? Or even the Word of God. St. Gregory the Great would talk about the Word of God breaking open our humanity. The Word of God is living and effective. It pierces our, the heart like a two-edged sword. But then once our heart is open, then what? Then there's the encounter with the other capital O and the encounter with the other small O, meaning another person in his or her weakness, but also in his or her uh, greatness. And so it's a, it's a great opportunity to understand uh, the virtue even of solidarity in our humanity. But other things now, the ideologies of which I spoke, or the rise of artificial intelligence, 
makes us wonder, are we any different from machines? I was reading an article just yesterday about people who are having romantic encounters with, uh, with, uh, with AI, and they're becoming emotionally attached, and the artificial intelligence is responsive to them. But shouldn't we be seeking out a human relationship? Is there something fundamentally different between human, humans and machines? Uh, this is one, one subject uh, that we'll touch upon. Um, I think sometimes we, we get involved in political ideology. And so we live in a polarized world, a polarized country. And this is actually destroying our humanity, our ability to have relationships. You know, Aristotle would say we have certain natural instincts toward, uh, for example, self-preservation, toward uh, reproduction or procreation, but also to live in community. Man is a fundamentally social animal. So what does it mean to be social? What does it mean to encounter another? Why is it that in a culture in which we are so connected uh, technologically, so many people are lonely? We have a need for community. And the encounter helps us to meet other people in their humanity, but also to discuss fundamentally what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be a person uh, in community? Yeah. And Your Excellency, thank you so much for talking to us about this wonderful event. And it's so wonderful. It is face to face, face that is, and everyone gets to meet each other. Uh, we appreciate your time and God bless you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. God bless you. Come to New York. See ya. God bless you. Bye bye. Uh God bless. Thank you so much. Well, finally tonight, a women's basketball player with Catholic roots makes NCAA history. Iowa senior Caitlin Clark has scored 3,569 points in her career to set a new record. Her most recent performance in a victory last night over Michigan left her a little emotional. I'm very thankful to be surrounded by so many people that have kind of been my foundation and everything that I've done since I was a young little girl. And, um, I started crying watching that video just because, like, I'm, I'm just filled with so much gratitude and love. Clark entered the game needing eight points to set the record. She scored 49. Clark went to Catholic grade school and high school in Iowa, and people from her home parish in Des Moines routinely gather to watch the Hawkeyes play. Clark has a handful of games left this year and may even be back for an extra season. Congratulations to her. God bless her. And we thank you for watching tonight. Remember, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, X, and Instagram at EWTN News Nightly. I'm Tracy Sable. Good night and God bless.